Thank you. How many of you were not here this morning? Just so you know, my good friend Al Reaver was not here this morning. Last time I saw Al was Magnolia Springs, Mississippi, and where he was pastoring. And uh, just sharing this with you to recap this morning, because unless you're going to surrender to God's will, you may as well leave now because everything I'm going to say tonight won't apply to you. If you're looking at, for God's will as an option to consider, then he's not going to tell you. And I shared the story of my son, how he wanted God to tell him what he wanted. Then he decided he was going to do it. And I said, no, with God, it works the other way around. You tell God you're going to do it, then he'll tell you what he wants. How many know that's the way it works? And so tonight I want to share with you, uh, and you'll find this, those of you that got the book, that this outline is all in the back of the book, uh, almost all, because I always add a little something as I go along. But um, many years ago, how this teaching came about, I was in Honolulu, Hawaii, and uh, at speaking at Island Christian Singles, and right before the service, uh, the pastor of Island Christian Singles uh, I said to him, I said, is there any need that you'd like to see me address? He said, well, you know, a lot of these young people are just looking for God's will in their life, who to marry, what school to go to, what job to have. And he said, could you talk on that? So during the worship, I took out an offering envelope and jotted down just what I had known and experienced from God's word and from life. And that's pretty much what I'm going to share with you. It hasn't changed much since that offering envelope, a little, grown a little bit. But let me share with you that I think the thing that I've shared about divine guidance over the years that most people have told me helps them a lot that they hadn't heard anywhere else is making the distinction between three kinds of guidance. And the first I'll simply call primary guidance. And let me explain what I mean by that. With primary guidance, you can base a decision on primary guidance alone with nothing else. And there's only one means of primary guidance. That's the Word of God. Everything comes under the authority of God's Word. And if you're looking for special guidance when God has already told you in His Word what He wants, don't expect God to speak to you. Hello? Give you an example. Back in Iowa where I first met Pastor Smith, I was a youth pastor and a young lady named Jenny came to me and she said, Randy, I want you to pray with me about something, about God's will. I said, well, what do you want me to pray with you about? Well, it's about whether I should date this guy or not. And I said, well, is he a believer? Well, not yet. I said, well, then I'm not going to pray with you. Well, you're my youth pastor. You're supposed to pray with me about things. I said, I'm not going to waste my breath praying about something I already know the answer to. Are you with me? How many know, understand what I'm saying? And I said, have you heard what the Word of God says about not being unequally yoked? She said, well, I'm not saying I'm going to marry the guy. I said, listen, when you go into a dating relationship, you're headed down a road of that possibility. Don't even go down the road of possibility. That's what I mean by primary guidance. And the Word of God is filled with the Word of God. And many people who struggle to find God's will for their life it's because they're not spending enough time in the Word, and then they're wanting God to give them some kind of special revelation, and it's not going to happen. Now, I say that to say this. When God guides through His Word, He's going to guide through what it means. In other words, I do know the story of someone who was asking God where to serve as a missionary and opened a Bible and saw on the margin it said Morocco leather and said he thought God was calling him to Morocco. That's not the way God guides. <laughs> Let me get a little more specific. I have more to tell, but I'm really condensing this teaching tonight. A friend of mine in Wisconsin, a pastor, had a brother come to him saying God had shown him it was his will to divorce his wife. And he said, You found that in the Bible? And he said, yep, I found it in the book of Job. He said, uh, <clears throat> I read it in the book of Job. It said, that which I feared has come upon you. And he said, Pastor, that spoke to my heart. I'm terrified of that woman. <laughs> now, hey, you haven't even heard it. He wasn't even spelling it right. He thought it was saying, that which I feared has come upon me. 
you don't get it afterwards, find someone that laughed, they'll explain it to you. But that is a true story. Now, how are you going to get direction from God's Word? First of all, by simply reading it. How many of you ate lunch today? How many going to eat after service? Why? Well, because you get hungry, but how many know you eat to live? God's Word said, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. May I share with you, if you need food every day for your body, you need food not just Sunday, food every day from His Word. Simply reading the Word of God. Some people have asked me, where do you get your sermons? All of them have come from simply reading the Word of God. I don't read the Word of God looking for a sermon. I read the Word of God to feed my mind and soul and what the Spirit quickens to me. How many know the old word quicken? Brings life to me. How many of you know what I mean when you're reading the Word and you could say it jumps out at you, but the Lord quickens that passage? And how many of you underline it? Hello? Do you know that even if you have the same Bible as the person next to you, if you'd open it up, you'd find there's a difference because you've underlined places they haven't underlined. They've underlined places I love, and I don't know if this is an accurate translation of it, but I love that old song. I love a lot of the old songs, that song, More About Jesus. And I love that verse that says this, More about Jesus in his word, holding communion, with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful, saying, mine. When you underlined it, you appropriated it. You said, God has spoken that to me. It begins by reading the word, but it goes beyond that. It's studying the word, and I don't have time to go into. You need to learn to just study the word when God quickens that passage. You need to then study that passage. Maybe read a commentary, a good commentary on that. Uh, I recommend Barclay's Daily Study Bibles, a very good commentary to read. With, it gives you a lot of information. By the way, another great one is, is the uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary. I think it's published by Dallas Theological Seminary faculty. One of my favorite commentaries. Very concise, two volumes. But study the Word. And then the third thing, <clears throat> meditate. On the word. And I will tell you that I'll, I'll mention this probably later on. One of the greatest challenges we have in this generation is all the time saving devices we have. Our time sucking devices. Hello? And I said this recently, it was a thought I had in the middle of the night. It's, it, it's a challenge to our prayer life. First of all, to find times that are free of interruptions in the Word of God. Secondly, is to calm our minds. It's hard to calm our minds when we live at a frenetic pace. We need to slow down, consecrate time to the Lord. I'll talk about that a little later on. But meditation is not a Buddhist word. Did you know that? It, the Bible's filled with it. Meditation means simply the difference between quickly going over it and taking time to meditate about I remember my son Russ, the first sermon he preached was in the homiletics class at Central Bible College. And <clears throat> he was only allowed 10 minutes, and he had like 11 pages of notes. I said, son, this is not going to work. And I said, you have overstudied. And I said, write out your text on a three by five card. Write it out so you're writing it yourself. Put it in your pocket. Whenever you think of it in the next few days, pull it out. Meditate on the word of God. And there's something that the Lord will do to quicken that truth to you if you give time to submit yourself to the truth of God's word. So primary guidance is the word of God. Quickly, I want to move to secondary guidance. Now, secondary guidance, let me explain the difference between primary guidance and secondary guidance. Like primary guidance, you can base a decision on secondary guidance alone without anything else if, this is why it's secondary, if it does not contradict the Word of God. 
That's why it's secondary. Only the Word of God is primary. And by that, I'm just going to talk about two things. First of all, I used to call this the inner voice. I now call it the inner witness, and I'll explain that in a moment. In fact, you know, I, uh, since I fly a lot, now I'm platinum for life on American. I've got three million miles on American. And so now and then, they'll upgrade me, complimentary. And I was upgraded one day on American, and I recognized this guy next to me as a very famous, so I told you his name, almost every one of you would recognize it, a famous Baptist preacher who has written a lot of books. And I, you know, when you see, and by the way, because I've ridden on planes a lot, been upgraded a lot, I've ridden with a lot of celebrities. I'm not going to take the time to reel them off to you. Let me tell you what I found out by spending a lot of conversation with famous people. Most of them are pretty much just like the rest of us, except they're a lot more insecure than the rest of us. You know why? Because they know if they lose their fame, they've lost it, right? Well, that wasn't true of this gentleman. And I thought, this, you know, when you see a famous person, you think, that guy looks like, you know. That's because he is, right? <laughs> and I looked down, and he had a briefcase, and sure enough, his name was on the name tag on his briefcase. So I introduced myself, and I said, hi, my name's Randy. And I said, I know who you are. And, I, and he said, well, nice to meet you, Randy. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher like you are. He said, oh, what denomination? I said, Assemblies of God. Oh, you're Pentecostal. Yes, he said, tell me something. Does God talk to you? And I said, of course he talks to me. He said, that's what scares me about you Pentecostals, man. How many of you know it freaks people out when you say God told you something? Right? And uh, now notice, he did not say, do you think God talks to you? He was respectful. He said, does God talk to you? Then he said, how does God talk to you? Notice, he was respectful. He didn't say, how do you think God talks to you? He said, how does God talk to you? And just in that moment, I think the Holy Spirit helped me, and I said, just like he talks to you. He said, what do you mean? I'm Baptist. <laughs> I said, you think God talks to Baptists differently than he does to Pentecostals? You think we're hearing voices all the time? By the way, I have personally known several people. I can count on one hand the people I've met, known in my life, that I am certain heard an audible voice from God. It does happen. But I will tell you that most of the time, from the ones I know that have heard an audible voice, it wasn't a compliment. It was because they weren't listening to him very well. Hello? I said, you think Pentecostals are hearing audible voices all the time? He said, well, you know, I just didn't know. And I said, let me ask you this. I said, when you became a believer, who convinced you of your sin? Did the preacher convince you you were a sinner, or did the Holy Spirit convince you of sin? He said, the Holy Spirit did. I said, when you confessed your sin, who told you you were forgiven? Did the preacher say, now you're forgiven, my son? Or did the Holy Spirit bring, I love this term, that blessed assurance. How many know what the blessed assurance is? Hello? He said the Holy Spirit did. I said, have you ever been in a situation where you know you should be scared, you should be petrified, but you have an inexplicable peace? How many been there? And he said, yes, I have. By the way, let me explain this to you. I have a cousin who's six weeks older than I am. His name's David Abbott. David is a brilliant psychiatrist. At family reunions, all my relatives avoid him. <laughs> Except me. I go to right up to him. I say, hi, Dave. You're fine. How am I? <clears throat> now listen. My psychiatrist cousin is so brilliant. He teaches psychiatry at the University of Minnesota. Hello? He's brilliant. You could pay my cousin $100 a session, five sessions a week, for 40 years, and my cousin cannot bring peace to your soul. But you can come to an altar 
You don't even have to come to the altar. You can be sitting in a seat. And God gives you a baptism of his peace that passes understanding. It's not rational. Hello? It's peace that passes understanding. How many know what I'm talking about? And I said that to his brother, and he said, boy, you ought to write a book on this. I may someday. And he said, I'd write a forward to it. I said, thank you. I wouldn't let him write a forward. I want to tell you what, it's controversial Baptist. I'll tell you that much. Anyway, but you know what? It helped the guy, and I have since then not used the term inner voice. I used to say inner voice. But some people think when you say that, you're thinking about hearing something. The biblical term is witness. The spirit bears witness with your spirit. May I tell you, I do not have the gift of the word of knowledge. There are, I have friends who have this gift manifested. By the way, I don't think any of us have any gifts. They are manifested through us to the body. I'm not crazy about these things, you know, the spiritual gifts thing. Well, you got this chart. What gifts do you have? I have one, four, and five. I have two, five, and seven. You know, <laughs> no, let me tell you. And I will tell you what. Here's the problem with narrowing down and listing, and I'll talk about spiritual gifts in a moment. This issue of spiritual gifts is that, do you know that I believe at salvation, by the way, you don't have to have spoken in tongues to have spiritual gifts in your life. Did you know that? Hello? No, you won't have the gift of tongues. Hello? But do you know that at salvation, God gives gifts through every believer to the body. And you know what? He's not finished. That's why the Word of God says, earnestly desire the best gifts. You say, what are the best gifts? How do you rank them? Oh, Paul gives an importance of certain priorities over others. But let me tell you what the best gifts are. The ones that are needed right now at this place. Listen, that's the best gift. And you know that I believe that God can manifest any gift through any believer who is open to his leading and has the faith to receive what God has for them. And I will tell you this, that I have on a number of occasions had a word of knowledge. Let me tell you, a word of knowledge is this simple. It is something that pops in my head, and I know it's not my imagination. It didn't come from my imagination. And it is accompanied by that witness that you know, that you know God is saying this is true. And it has helped me, especially in personal evangelism. I've been on an airplane and witnessing to someone. And the Holy Spirit revealed something to me about that person. And many times, most times, I won't tell them, God just told me this about you. I will tell you one time I did. Actually, two times I did. But may I tell you that it's very natural for a person in whom the Holy Spirit lives for the Spirit to speak to you. So the voice of, I'll call it the voice now that I've explained the witness, the voice of conviction is the voice of assurance. And the voice of assurance is the voice of peace. And the voice of peace is the voice of guidance. It's the same voice. And we need, and I will tell you, I'm going to come to this later on at the very conclusion. I want to talk more about knowing the voice of God. Secondly, Americans are not going to like this. Spiritual authority. I mentioned it this morning when I came to this responsibility 17 and a half years ago. It was because spiritual authority asked me to do this assignment. God confirmed it by means including a healing which I explained to you. But do you know that God speaks and you can find it all through Scripture, through people in spiritual authority far beyond their own capacities. Let me tell you a Scripture that a lot of Americans don't understand as well as people in a lot of other countries. I'll quote it from the New American Standard Version because I'm an American. No, it's because the one I've used the most. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. He's talking about spiritual leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, or this would be unprofitable for you. Now let me give you the, not New American Standard, 
the standard American translation. I'll cooperate with my pastor if he can give me good reasons why I should. Hello? Now, let me explain to you very quickly. My pastor at Central Assembly in Springfield, Missouri, where I have been a card-carrying member for more than 50 years. We got our membership at 12, so don't think I'm 80. <clears throat> my pastor was the 12-year-old son of my former part-time assistant pastor when I pastored in Illinois. Now he's my senior pastor. All of his life, I knew him as Jeff. Now, I'm going to really sound old-fashioned here. When he came to be pastor of Central Assembly, and I addressed him the first time, and I said, Pastor Peterson, it's wonderful to have you here. He said, Randy, how many years have we known each other? I'm Jeff to you. I said, I'm sorry, not anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not make a significant, I could show you a text to my iPhone. Actually, my wife has it where Pastor Peterson and I are arranging a lunch, and I'll tell you why. Every time I face a critical decision in my life, I make an appointment with my pastor to seek his counsel and his wisdom. And he was the 12-year-old kid. Hello? That was the son of my former assistant pastor. Are you with me? By the way, his predecessor, Dr. James Bradford, I'd known him for many years, and when he came to be pastor of Central Assembly and I started addressing him as pastor, he said, Randy, I'm Jim to you. I said, not anymore. Now, before Pastor Peterson came, the reason Pastor Bradford left, he was elected general secretary of the Assemblies of God. So now I call him Jim. <laughs> you say, wait a minute, isn't that a promotion? Yes, it's a promotion in the Assemblies of God, not in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because Jeff Peterson is my pastor. And I will share with you that, that people, when God has put us in, in the realm of someone's spiritual authority, don't think I'm a shepherding guide. Boy, this guy is off the rails. Let me tell you why. Did you hear the whole text? Submit to them. As those, they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Do you know why? My pastor is accountable to a higher authority. Are you with me? And now, let me share this with you about authority. Boy, I wish I had time to really deal with this issue of spiritual authority. But there are levels of spiritual authority to which we submit. And... This is an interesting thing. Do you remember the Roman centurion concerning whom Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith, no, not in all of Israel. Remember that centurion? Why did he say that? Why? Because when he said to the guy, the guy comes and says, my servant's sick, this centurion. Now let me tell you, who do you think was more impressive looking? The centurion or Jesus? The centurion, man. And he comes to Jesus and said, my servant is sick. And Jesus makes this incredible promise. I'll come and heal him. Wow. And the centurion said, I am not worthy for you to come under my house. This is a pagan Roman people. A pagan Roman. I'm not worthy for you to come. Why? Because he saw in this man Jesus, this rabbi, Something far more than he saw in the other rabbis. He saw the authority of God upon him. And he said, all you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I too, listen to this, am a man, he didn't say, of authority. I am a man under authority. Like you are under authority. I say to my soldiers, go here. They go, do this, they do that. You know what he was saying? They don't do it because of me. They do it because I represent the authority of Caesar. And like I represent, are you getting this, people? Like I represent the authority of Caesar. You, Jesus, represent a higher authority that I don't understand. But I know this. If you'll speak the word, my servant will be healed. May I tell you, people, we are all under authority, whether you're an American or not. And I will tell you, that God will speak to you and give you guidance through spiritual authority. 
That's secondary guidance. Just those two things I want to share with you. Now I want to quickly come to confirming guidance. What I mean by confirming guidance is this. By the way, you know, whenever I land at DFW, it's comforting to know there are runway lights at night. Not just one light. There are runway lights. And you know, sometimes in a major decision, in a major decision, to come in for a safe landing at a decision in your life, you need runway lights. You need some confirmations. Do you know what I mean? That's why I want to talk, thirdly, about confirming guidance. First of all, I want to talk about common means. I'll go through these quickly. Natural talents. You can see it on the screen. Natural talents. Let me explain that quickly. If you think God's calling you to a singing ministry, it helps if you have a good voice. Have you ever met someone that felt they were called to singing ministry and didn't have that confirmation? Hey, you bet. Brent, have you ever met someone? And are you with me? Do you know that in Psalm 139, to which I alluded this morning, that, that in that same passage, when David said, before even there's a word on my tongue, thou, O Lord, dost know it all. He said, in my mother's womb, you wove me together. The Hebrew word is sakak. It means you wove me together like a piece of fabric let me tell you something, people. Do you know that every life that is taken from a womb of a mother in this nation, do you know the extent that that's happening in this nation? To help you picture it, I'm not going to give you a number. I want you to picture a Boeing 747 with a baby strapped into every seat, crashing into the ground every hour on the hour. That's how many babies are aborted in America. And every one of them, my Bible tells me God had a plan for that child's life. Before they were ever born, God's word says that. So look for the threads in the fabric of your life that God has woven into your natural abilities. Number two, spiritual gifts. Now, let me share this with you. The presence of a spiritual gift can be a good confirmation of something God's guiding you to. The absence of one is not necessarily a negative confirmation. Why? Because of what I just told you earlier. Because God can impart whatever spiritual gift you need for that ministry to which he's calling you. Number three, desires. I talked about that this morning. Do you know that God guides through your desires? That's why I was telling the truth to my son when I told him, if you don't want to be a preacher, God won't make you be a preacher. Once he said, God, I'll do whatever you want. God worked in him to will before he worked in him to do the preaching, he worked in him to want to preach. Are you with me? Because when you put yourself at God's disposal, you open your heart to him and let him move in your heart. He will give you desires that are not natural to you. And that's how, if you see God's giving you a desire, I'll, I'll give you a simple one. Some of you, I believe, God has been dealing with your heart. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You have a growing desire to see somebody receive Jesus because you share Jesus with them. Let me tell you, that's a clue. God's guiding you into more effective ministry to people who are spiritually lost because he's working in your, in your desires. Number four, provision. I gave an example of that this morning. Now, we didn't ask for $1,000 to move to Minnesota we didn't ask for $1,000 for a big screen TV set. We asked for $1,000 as provision for something that was needed if God wanted us to go there in his service. Are you with me? Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said this, when God guides, he provides. You know God guides through your wallet? Hello? And he will confirm his will if he's guiding you very often by financial supply. Have you had that happen, Al? Absolutely. So provision. Let me give you another example, just how God confirmed, because it'll tie into another thing I'm going to share with you, how God confirmed that we were where he wanted us when we were pastoring in Fairview Heights, Illinois. And we went to this church. The district superintendent asked us to go there. And they were a few weeks away from foreclosure on the church property. I mean... It was a mess financially, right? And I don't remember what the bill was, but we're already there. God had confirmed to us another ways to go there. But you know, you're beginning to wonder. 
And we needed $90, rather. We needed $90 by the end of the week. I don't remember what the bill was even. I just remember it was $90. It may have been our utility bill. I don't know what it was. But it was exactly $90 we needed on Friday. I have never been late on a bill in my life. God has always provided. We did not have the money. So we took it to the Lord and said, God, you know, we need the $90 by Friday or we'll be in default. I really think it was the utility bill. We pray that Monday, Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, nothing. Remember I said this morning, God's UPS, and I wish with his UPS he'd give us tracking numbers, you know, but he doesn't do that. Nothing until Friday when the bill was due. Now get this. You ever heard of the mouth of two witnesses? A letter from my sister and brother-in-law. God spoke to us to send this to you. Put in a check. You want to guess how much? No, no, no. I said two witnesses. $40. Dear friends of ours who were the, the campus ministries director for the state of Illinois, Jim and Betty Hall, in the same mailbox, a letter from Jim and Betty Hall, and they said, when one suffers, we all suffer, and put in a check for $50, exactly. What do you think the odds are? Hello? How many think that's a confirmation God wants us there? Hello? Anyway, so God confirmed through his provision. Very quickly, number five, circumstances. That's a lot broader subject. In other words, through things that happen. Let me give you a circumstantial evidence. I was talking to Al Reaver about this for, just before the service, well, during the, while you were praying, because no one gave us a card, so we talked. <laughs> <clears throat> Let me tell you a circumstantial thing, okay? Pastoral vote is a circumstance. Hello? I went to... A, a town in southern Illinois, I was asked by this district superintendent to go there to candidate this church. The church was debt-free, owned the, built, the church, owned the parsonage, only Assemblies of God church in town, in a university town, which I loved university students, wanted to be there. Everything I ever wanted in a church. Preached there Sunday morning. They voted on a Sunday night, 100% of the vote. And the inner witness says, No. Hello? 100% God says no. Matter months later, we went to Fairview Heights, Illinois. They're, they're close to having foreclosure on the property. I mean, I could tell you all kinds of problems. We got in by one vote over two-thirds. With one vote. They didn't even have a piano player at the church. I mean, it was in a terrible location. One vote, Holy Spirit says, do it. Now, I'm not going to tell you a strong vote means you shouldn't go, and a weak vote means you should. I'm saying a vote can be a confirmation, but it's not. Not only is it not primary guidance, it's not even secondary guidance. It is only possibly a confirmation. Hello, you need to know how to hear from God, not just play the numbers. Are you with me? So, circum by the way... This may surprise you. How many know Des Evans? Des Evans came to us at the old North Side, North Side Assembly of God. He was elected. You can thank God he listened to the Holy Spirit instead of circumstances. He was elected by one vote over two-thirds. Aren't you glad he obeyed God instead of played the numbers? Hello? So, but God can confirm through circumstances. Quickly, outer voices unconscious. First of all, it can be an unconscious voice. God speaks through someone that doesn't even know God's using them to speak to you. You ever had that happen? Let me give you an example. I didn't finish a story this morning, so the people that weren't here tonight are not going to know the end. My wife reminded me. It was actually because I forgot. You remember I told you when I was in that little church in London after Frank miraculously found me in London in time to get me there to preach, and that woman had never been in church and was only going to be there that one Sunday and said, don't ever ask me again, and she came to Christ. I want to tell you what she said. When I prayed with her, I want to tell you, when you pray with someone, and they have never been to church, 
And you watch the light of God break on a sinner's face when the blessed assurance that only God can give him comes through. And that highly educated woman said to me, all of my life I've walked around in a spiritual fog thicker than any fog in London. And now the fog has parted. The light has come through. Let me tell you, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember I told you during my sermon, I got off on this thing about the architecture of heaven. On and on. And I'm saying, get off this ark. I've never talked about before or since. I want to guess what she was a professor of? Architecture. Architecture. Hello. Do you know something? God can have you say something. You don't even know why you say it. So it can connect with that person. Unconsciously and also consciously. Authority. Later. Because most of the time, now I will tell you, if it's someone in spiritual authority, they may be knowing that they are giving you a word of direction. But there's another form of conscious outer voices that is not a common means of guidance. And I'll come to that later, okay? Let's talk about special means. Very quickly, visions. Now, I'm not talking about Mammy Yoakum. Any old-timers remember little Abner? Mammy Yoakum used to conjure up a vision. You don't conjure up a vision. God either gives it or he doesn't. That's why I call it special means or uncommon means. In other words, those other means are very common in a lot of people's lives. But visions, true visions happen rarely. Let me give you one example. A woman who's since gone on to be with the Lord, who went to Zion, um, Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I was in Zion, Illinois. GLBI, Great Lakes Bible Institute in Zion, Illinois. Many, many years ago when she was 14 years of age and she experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 14 years of age. When she spoke in other tongues, God gave her a vision of brown-skinned people. It was vivid in color, so much so that there was a woman in a red dress here, a woman in a green dress here, someone, a man in a blue shirt there, and it was just in emblazoned into her memory at 14 years of age. Fast forward a few years. She and her husband, R.B., a really good friend of mine, who recently also went to be with the Lord, were called to Indonesia. R.B. had a terrible language aptitude. He just struggled learning the Bahasa Indonesian language. They were so discouraged, they were ready to give up and go home. And the missionaries on the island of Java said, look, if you're going to learn the language, by the way, this helped me when I was in Samoa, I would go to Savai'i Island where they didn't speak any English and I had no choice. Hello? And that's how I learned it because there was no language school. So they said, we're going to send you to this island where they don't speak English. And you'll have to learn it. So he and Abby go there and there was a little Assemblies of God church there. So they asked him to preach with an interpreter on Sunday morning. Now two miracles happened that morning. R.B. got up to preach. When he got up to preach with his interpreter beside him, I have interviewed R.B. personally about this. He began to preach in fluent Indonesian Bahasa. The interpreter just stood, finally walked over and sat down. I asked R.B., R.B., were you speaking in tongues? Did you not know what you were saying? He said, no, Randy, it was a miracle. He said, I had vocabulary I'd never heard. He said, I understood what I was saying. And he preached an entire message, gave an altar call. The altar was filled with people. And after the service, you know what people were doing. They come up and started rattling in Bosasa to him. He didn't understand anything they were saying. It all was gone. He had to go right back to studying the language. It happened one time, but it confirmed to him, this is where you belong. Hello? When, after the service, he turned over, he had noticed that Abby, who was sitting on the platform, was weeping uncontrollably. And he went and said, Abby, what's wrong? She said, Abby, there it was. The red dress, the green dress, the blue shirt, everything I saw in my vision of 14 years of age, it was this church. God knew that many years later they would be so discouraged they were ready to pack up and go home. Listen, you can't ask God for things like that. God in his grace and mercy does what he chooses to do. Dreams. Next, fleeces, quickly. A fleece, you remember, comes from the experience of Gideon. How many remember the story? Where he, God told him what to do, 
He was fearful or doubting or both. And he said, if this is really you, I'm going to put this sheepskin out. I want it to be wet in the morning and everything around be dry, right? Which it was. He's still doubting and fearful. So he says, okay, do it the other way around, right? And God honors it and confirms it. May I tell you the three instances I shared with you this morning where we asked for the $1,000, we asked for someone to contact us if we were to, to uh, leave and we went, ended up going to Des Moines and where I asked ask God for the migraine healing are the only three fleeces I've ever offered in my life. May I tell you folks, it's not a thing you should enter into lightly. God in his grace sometimes will grant something like that. Listen, you want to know God's will, go to the book. Go to your knees. Hear the voice of the Spirit. It, it was not a great testimony of Gideon's faith that he laid out a fleece, and it was not a great testimony of my faith that I asked for $1,000. Hello? A fleece is when you ask God for a specific thing for a confirmation, and you must be very careful you are not putting God to the test. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, there's another thing I want to talk about, signs. There's a little difference between a fleece and a sign. You see, a fleece, you ask for something specific. A sign, you just ask God to determine it. Say, God, I need a sign. I, there are all kinds of signs, but God, it may be a circumstance. It may be someone giving an unconscious word. I could give you all kinds of examples. A sign simply means, you say, God, I'm just not sure about this thing. I would say, it should be a lot more common for you to ask for a sign that you ask, than you ask for a fleece. Why? Because when you ask for a sign, God's choosing what he's going to do to communicate that to you. All right? Now, let me share one, the next point after signs. Personal prophecy. Remember I talked to you about outer voices that are consciously. What do I mean? How many know what I'm talking about? Personal prophecy. Okay. Like someone comes to you, young lady, and says, God told me that you're supposed to marry me. <laughs> I can give you the simple answer. When God tells me, I will. Now, let me remind you, I will tell you, there are times when that happens. Have you ever heard of Dr. David Yonggi Cho, pastor of the largest church in Korea? Before we went to the Samoan Islands as missionaries, Pastor Cho, who was a dear friend of my father, paid my way to come to his first church growth conference, which was in Lakeland, Florida. I stayed in the hotel with him. As I was with him, we had many hours together. I said, Joe, I want you to pray for me for the ministry we're going to have in Samoa. And the Spirit came on him, and he said, you will go to Samoa for one year, and you will be forced to return because God wants you to minister in many countries, not just one country. I said, but Pastor Cho, you don't understand. I've made a commitment to spend the rest of my life in Samoa. He said, one year. He said, you will be forced to return. It was one year to the week after we arrived in Samoa that that Samoan doctor told my wife that she might have cancer and we had to fly back to the United States. Hello? God does speak through people. Are you with me? But listen to me carefully. Only, only, only. Always, always, always for confirmation. Never as a basis for your decision. Do you understand what I'm saying? And by the way, that prophecy may come before or after the decision. Sometimes it happens after the decision, something they don't even know about. And if so, thank God for his grace. But let me tell you something. Don't go around for these people say, hey, I'm going to, you know, I have this gift of telling you God's will for you. Listen, I believe that God gifts certain people at certain times to do that. But never for primary or even secondary guidance, only for confirming guidance. I want to conclude Quickly, I wish I had more time, but I hope these perspectives will help you a little bit. Let me close by just talking to you about the first thing I talked about in secondary guidance, which is hearing God's voice. You know, as I said to that 
dear Baptist brother on the plane. It's a very natural thing to hear God's voice. And, and he realized it. He had heard the voice of conviction. He had heard the voice of assurance. He had heard the voice of peace. Right? But you know, sometimes we struggle to hear God's voice. There is no indication in Scripture that anyone is incapable of hearing God's voice. But you find again and again this command, hearken unto the voice of the Lord. The problem is not that God isn't speaking. It's that we're not listening. Do you remember what I said earlier about in our culture, and I mean this very sincerely, that with our hectic lifestyles, it is very difficult for us to calm our minds and calm our spirit, calm our heart, to give time to hear the voice of God. But let me show you how naturally it happens. I'll ask you a question. How many of you have ever had an urge or an impression to give a specific amount of money, I'm not talking about the offering now, to an individual, especially another believer, $20, $50, $100. How many ever had that urge? Let me see here. Wow, look at that. Everybody. How many did it? How many after you did it, they said something like this? You couldn't possibly have known my need. How many glad you did it? Let me give you a little tip. If you're not doing it, it's not worth 20 bucks, 50 bucks, or 100 bucks to miss out on being God's hand of blessing for somebody. And there's something I believe even greater. I believe that's a major way God uses to teach us to learn to hear his voice and trust it and obey him. Because if you learn to hear his voice for 20 bucks, 50 bucks, or 100 bucks, you're going to hear his voice for far more important things than that. I'll tell you a little story. It predates the Internet. A missionary friend of mine in the country of Nepal. The United States gave the nation of Nepal what was at that time, I think it was called a ComSat dish, communication satellite dish. It was a dish that, that they could receive, that receive and send international telephone calls by satellite before the Internet, okay? And that satellite dish had little motors and pistons and stuff, and every few seconds it would track the communication satellite, those little motors, and track that communication satellite. It was put under the authority, as in most foreign countries, the communications of telephone system is under the post office. It's considered communication. It was that way, at least in the Samoa, where, where I serve. So the postal director for Nepal is watching this satellite dish and all these little motors going. And he has this idea. He said, you know, those motors are working all day long. And some point, they're going to burn out. And maybe America won't give us another one of these. And everyone makes their phone calls in the daytime. So I'll unplug it at night. And then in the morning, it'll just make one big adjustment. And it'll last twice as long. Does that make sense? So he unplugged it, plugged it in the next day. And the satellite dish frantically was scanning the heavens looking for the satellite and burned the motors out. <laughs> Do you know why? The satellite dish was not designed for occasional intermittent contact. It was designed for constant contact. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you think when you get into a problem that you're just going to scan the heavens, zero in on God. Now, God, tell me what to do. Are you with me? You were not designed for occasional intermittent contact. You were designed for constant contact. Now, I close with this. How many of you have a best friend? Okay, I want you to think of that person. When you first met them, and I will tell you, your pastor is one of my best friends. 
Long after I'm gone from headquarters and they all forget me, and they will, trust me. Dan will still be my friend. And I'll tell you, you know what binds people together? Commonality. You have common values, common interests. Maybe your friendship started like this. You too? I thought I was the only one. Right? I mean, there are Harley friends. There are Starbucks friends. I mean, name anything that's a common interest. And those are casual friendships. Those aren't the deep friendships. You with me? Now, would you believe me that Jesus, like you, had friends? Oh, I know he had disciples. You read in Luke 10, he had 70 he sent out. Did you know that? I personally believe that's a connection between Numbers chapter 11. It was a fulfillment. It was a reconstitution, an example that God was reconstituting a spiritual Israel. Why? Because in Numbers 11, when he said, I would that all God's people, when the 70 elders prophesied, I would that all his people are prophets. Hello? And he chose the 12. You can read about it in Mark 3. He chose the 12. Those were the ones that really were with him the most. And it says three things in Mark chapter 3. It says Jesus chose the 12, that they might be with him, and he would send them out to preach and cast out demons. Okay? Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the sending out to preach and casting out demons. But he was sending them out in the authority of his word, and the authority of his spirit, and you read about it in Luke chapter 10, may I tell you, you don't have to go to a demon conference to have spiritual authority. In Luke chapter 10, this is what he said to the 70. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will, hello, nothing will harm you. You don't have to go to school to get the authority. The authority it's not based on ritual or education. It's based on relationship. Because when they came back and discovered that the demons submitted to them, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Isn't it obvious they were surprised? And he said, I have given you authority over serpents and scorpions and to tread on them and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He said he'd send them out to preach and to have authority over demons. But people miss the first calling. His first calling was he chose the 12 that they might be with him. Simply be with him. I went down after, back after service and Sat with Pastor Des. I wish I had time just to be with him. Dan has talked about there's nothing he loves more than sitting with Des. Listen to Des talk about Jesus. You know the power. You know, I said, Dan, don't drive me to the airport. Don't pick me up. Send somebody else. I know you're busy. You know why he picks me up? He likes being with me. Amazing, because he's my friend. I like being with him. It's called hanging out, in case you don't know the modern terminology. He chose the 12 that they might hang out with him. Now, fast forward three years. And he said, I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. How many want to know his business? He said, I have called you friends. Because what the Father has revealed to me, I have revealed it unto you. And he said, the Spirit, when he comes, will bear witness. And you will bear witness also, listen to this, because you have been with me from the beginning. Fast forward to Acts. After the resurrection, the ascension, Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus. And the Pharisees marveled. Because they were unlearned and ignorant men. That's the King James terminology. Unlearned is bad. It means you don't know. Ignorance worse. It means you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> How many know someone not only unlearned, but they're ignorant? Hello? In other words, they don't get it. And you know what the Pharisee said? These guys, 
They don't get it. They're ignorant. But they have been with Jesus. Let me tell you something. Do you know even the Pharisees could tell that they had been with Jesus? Now, I will tell you this, that of the 12 that had been with Jesus, do you know that Jesus had certain people of those 12 that were closer to him than the rest? Two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. How do you know? Because there are circumstances where he has just the four of them. And there were three that were closer to them than the fourth. And you know who they were? Peter, James, and John. And there were two that were closer to him than the third. How do you know? How many want to know who your best friends are? Watch out. The only way to know, get in trouble. Because when Jesus was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, James fled with the rest. And two followed him out of the garden, Peter and John. Is it any coincidence that in Acts chapter 4, it's Peter and John that are so boldly proclaiming Jesus? Is it any coincidence that at the resurrection, on resurrection morning, remember this, next Sunday, only two of them went to the tomb? Same two. Peter and John. And Peter and John in the book of Acts were the ones most boldly proclaiming the message of Jesus. And I love what Peter said. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But would you believe me that like most of us, Jesus had a best friend. And it wasn't Peter. So how do you know? I know because Peter knew. That's right. Remember the Last Supper? Oh, have, have you done a Last Supper thing? You done a? Okay. Well, listen. If you do, they, you used to do, yeah, you know these, what do they call them? Passion play, right? And, the, you know, you've seen Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. That's not the way it was. First of all, they're not sitting at a table. They reclined at the table. Secondly, they're not all sitting on one side of the table. Have you ever had a dinner party for 13 and have them all sitting on one side of the table? What do you think? Jesus saying, Bartholomew and Nathan, you better get over on this side of the table. You're not going to get in the picture. <laughs> the artist does it that way. So everybody's facing the painting, right? How many of you know where I'm going? Who was reclining at Jesus' right side? The place of honor where only you were invited to go. It was John. And here's the tip-off. When Jesus says, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. The Lord's saying, Lord, is it I? Is it I? And Peter, who is dying to know, and Jesus isn't telling anybody, says, John, you ask him who. Hello? Peter knew if Jesus would tell anyone, he'd tell. Are you with me? It's all in the Bible, folks. And at the cross. You know, Jesus had earthly brothers and sisters. Joseph was their father. And you know that the responsibility of the eldest son, Joseph is obviously already dead. He's off the scene. At that point in the Gospels. And Mary, his mother, is at the foot of the cross. And he doesn't say to one of his earthly brothers like James, you take care of her. He says, John, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. And the scripture says from that day forward until she died, Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived in the home of John the Beloved not her own birthed children. And I know you're an American. And so you're going to say that's not fair. That Jesus would have a best friend. Because, you know, we just don't like that. But here's what I want you to understand. 
John was not Jesus' best friend because Jesus chose him to be. He was Jesus' best friend because John chose him to be. John chose to be his. There was nothing that prevented Peter from following him all the way to the cross except Peter's choice. And what I want to say is this. You know, there's an old song, another old song. And whenever I sing this one verse, I think of Calvary. I see a silhouette of three crosses. And maybe you can bring this to your mind this Easter weekend on Good Friday. Three crosses. The three bodies hanging on them. Soldiers casting lots. The silhouette of soldiers casting lots at the foot of the cross set for one who is saying as declared in the end of Mark, surely this man was the son of God when he saw how he died. And a group of women huddled at the foot of the cross, one disciple. John, watching the life drain out of his Savior. And I think of that scene when I hear this verse of the old song. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Don't sing the chorus. I want you to sing it in a minute. This is the verse when I think of John at the foot of the cross. Because it helps me identify with how I can make a choice now that he made a choice back then. Because see, Jesus isn't physically walking the earth. I can't choose to follow him up Calvary's hill. But I can choose this. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend when I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. Close your eyes and sing the chorus. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Would you stand with me, and I'm going to pray one brief prayer dismissal. God, I pray that we all need your guidance so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for spiritual authority. Thank you for all the ways you confirm it. But God, we need to know your voice and hear your voice. God, in our hectic lifestyles, we're not going to find any more time this week than we had last week. We still have the same number of hours, same number of minutes. And the only way we're going to have more time with you, to be with you, is to take it from something else and give it to you. And I'm just going to pray, not now, you need time to think about this, that you think through your schedule this week. And coming to Resurrection Weekend, let that beloved disciple John be an example to you. Say, Jesus, this Easter, help me to make practical decisions in my life that'll draw me nearer to you. I'll tell you the first place you can look to take it away from the television. That's place number one. 
But I promise you, you can find some time somewhere that's not as valuable. Take it from there. Give it to him. Lord, I pray as we go from this place for your guidance in this one thing. First of all, your guidance about our schedules. We talked this morning about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. That's not just our body, our soul, our spirit. It's our schedule. We'll sell out to you. Sell out our schedule to you. Make you Lord of our calendar and our clock and our smartphone. And I thank you because I believe that there's just a desire in many people's hearts here tonight. They could have been somewhere else. They came to prayer meeting. So I know they want time with you, and I thank you that you're going to guide them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight. Sorry I know this went longer than you normally do. Bless you.